The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your top five at five. Stocks looking to reverse course for yesterday's gains as investor sentiment turns bearish this morning. The Fed kicks off its two-day policy meeting starting today. Wall Street appears to be already pricing in another aggressive interest rate hike with the benchmark 10-year Treasury note yield hitting levels not seen in more than a decade. Your stock of the morning is Ford. Under pressure as supply strains hit the automakers' bottom lines. Plus, why a struggling stock price is not the only thing that Beyond Meat investors need to be worried about this morning. And then later on, Amazon scores another hit with its Thursday Night Football exclusive streaming deal. It is Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off your Tuesday morning with a check on U.S. stock futures right now. After some solid gains across the board in yesterday's session, stocks did snap a two-session losing streak. But right now, futures are indicating a slightly lower open. You can see the Dow implied lower by just about 13 points. We were much higher just a few hours ago. The S&P 500 down about four points implied at the opening bell and the Nasdaq down about 27. Now, if you look at the S&P 500 futures, we were solidly in the green trying to follow up on yesterday's gains just around 3 a.m. Eastern time. Now that we're in the five o'clock hour, you can see we've lost that bit of momentum here just around the flat line as well for the S&P futures. Checking now on the bond market, the benchmark 10-year Treasury note yield hit its highest level since 2011 in yesterday's session, yielding just over 3.5%. Now, this morning, we're still creeping higher, 3.524%, the last trade there. So near the highs of kind of the overall trade over the last couple of days for that benchmark 10-year Treasury note yield. Now, the rest of the yield curve, other maturities along that Treasury spectrum, also moving to the upside as well ahead of that big Fed meeting. You can see here two-year note yields, 3.97%, and the 30-year long bond a hair above 3.54% at this stage. To the oil market now, crude prices increasingly perhaps indicating a slowdown in the economy as of late. But in this morning's session, we're seeing some green, up about a half a percent for U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI crude, $86.19. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, $92.75, up about three quarters of 1%. And that gas prices, by the way, up about 1% as well. In cryptocurrencies, we're seeing Bitcoin and Ether prices once again trade a little bit lower. They've been volatile, but they've been stable, at least for Bitcoin, around this 20,000 mark. We've been trading quite around there for a while. 19,323 for Bitcoin, off about one half of 1%, just about flat for Ether prices, $1,359. Let's get a check on markets around the world now. For that, we send it over to Juliana Tattlebaum, who is live in our London newsroom with the latest market action across the globe. Good Tuesday morning, Juliana. 
Hey, Tom, good morning. Well, as for European trade, it's been a choppy session so far, and we've only been open a couple of hours. At the moment, all, nearly all of the major regions are trading lower. FTSE 100 here in the U.K., the only exception, and even there, we're just about seven basis or so, basis points or so higher at the moment. The CAC 40 over in France is down about half a percent, underperforming. Cetra DAX down four-tenths of a percent. Uh, FTSE MIB over in Italy down four-tenths as we count down to the Italian election on Sunday. We did get some fresh data this morning on the inflation front, which could have caused some alarm for investors. German August producer price index showed that inflation continues to run hot, hitting almost 46 percent year on year. That was the biggest jump ever for the PPI. In terms of central bank action, we got a big decision from Sweden's central bank this morning. Let me take you to the Swedish krona, which is trading lower versus the dollar this morning. Uh, the Riksbank over in Sweden hiked interest rates by 100 basis points to 1.75 percent. Now, analysts are calling this a catch-up move from the central bank as they try to combat inflation. It's running about 9% as of August. Um, But the move in the Swedish krona, interesting to see it actually move lower on the back of this decision. The idea being that the central bank is front-loading interest rate hikes, but doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be more aggressive in the months to come. Now, of course, attention going to be shifting to the Federal Reserve. We've also got the Swiss National Bank decision coming up later this week, as well as the Bank of England's delayed policy decision. So a lot of central bank action to come. Dom, back over to you. Central Bank of Palooza, for sure there. Juliana Tattlebaum, thank you very much for the latest there. <laughs> to some of this morning's top corporate stories right now, Sylvan Henao is here with those. Good morning, Sylvana. Dom, good morning. Shares of Ford under pressure ahead of the open. The company warning investors after the close yesterday it expects to incur an extra $1 billion in costs during the third quarter due to inflation and supply chain issues. Ford says the supply issues are resulting in part shortages affecting roughly 40,000 to 45,000 vehicles, and it's primarily higher margin trucks and SUVs that have yet to hit dealer lots. Ford's outlook taking down rival General Motors as well. GM had warned back in July that supply chain issues would hurt earnings, noting that about 95,000 vehicles in its factories and warehouses lack some components. Separately, Australian iron ore mining giant Fortescue Metals says it will spend more than $6 billion on renewable energy and stop using fossil fuels by 2030. The company says it will instead use a combination of wind, solar and hydrogen produced from renewable energy to generate the electricity and fuel needed to extract iron ore. And CalPERS, the largest public pension fund in the U.S., says its decision to put its private equity program on hold for 10 years has cost its members up to $18 billion in missed returns. In a statement, CalPERS says returns for its nearly 2 million members have been, quote, frankly lower than expectations, and efforts to limit downside risk have resulted in missing out on a big chunk of growth, Dom. Probably lots of unhappy investors. Savannah Hanau, thank you very much for those headlines. Appreciate it. it. Now, back on Wall Street, futures are in the red following a positive end to yesterday's volatile session. Investors are gearing up, of course, for the Fed's two-day policy meeting starting today, with many saying the consensus for a third straight 75 basis point or three-quarter percent hike is pretty much priced in. So joining me now is Gina Sanchez, CEO of Chantico Global. She's also a CNBC contributor. Gina this is this is a foregone conclusion. They're going to raise rates. The only issue is whether it's by 75 basis points or one full percent. That's pretty much what the market is baking in at this point. What's the case that the Fed does not need to be more aggressive than its third straight 75 basis point hike? 
Well, Dom, I, there there are a few cases, but I, I am concerned that the Fed isn't um, listening uh, as closely as they used to be to things like inflation. So we started to see inflation at least begin to roll over. Now, look, one little point down doesn't necessarily make a trend, but it certainly does break the trend that was in um, that, that that we were suffering through. Where we've also seen wages go flat as well. Those are two important things that the Fed should be paying attention to. And the fact that the long end of the curve, while it's still going up, is not going up by as much. In fact, it's starting to price in sort of less <laughs> less of a, a rosy outlook and, and potentially uh, a recession. If that if that's the case, if there is a recession possibly at play, is there any reason why you wouldn't see some kind of a bid, some kind of a bit of buying bias towards longer term treasuries? If there were to be an economic slowdown, why wouldn't you want to take a three and a half percent yield on a 10 year treasury note with money guaranteed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government if you believe that we're at least heading towards a recession at some point in the next couple of years? Well, Don, if, if you believe that, then you would take that. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you look at the way that the yield curve is acting, it is quite frankly, uh, I think, playing chicken with the Fed right now. And if you look at economists, forecasts right now are not yet forecasting a severe recession. If anything, they're forecasting just sub 1% returns for 2023. Now, that's not great, and equities don't perform well in uh, an, an economy like that, but that's not a recession. It's not a recession. So if that's the case, our markets right now, and we spent a, a couple of minutes here on the bond market, are equity markets now appropriately priced for what we think the rate outlook will be by the end of this year and where the rates will end up by the time the Fed is done with its tightening cycle? Well, that is a good question, Dom. The, the Fed funds futures right now are pricing in the Fed to continue to go to about 4.5% at the Fed funds futures. I mean, at, at for the Fed funds rate, which is the anchor of the curve. Now, if they did that, then no, the equity markets are not priced for that. The equity markets are barely priced for 3%. If we actually remain in the 3 to 4% range well into 2023 um, and on into 2024, the equity markets are not yet priced for that either. All right. So if they are not yet priced for that, do you go back in the markets now and, and continue buying equities? Do you just wait, sit with cash on the sidelines? Or are there at least dislocations enough in the market where you can find opportunities? And what types of stocks and industries are you looking at then? Well, to be honest, Don, I'd go up the capital structure. I mean, right now, if you don't believe we're going into a really severe recession that's going to cause a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of defaults, then you should probably be heading into credit right now. There's probably going to be interesting distress situations. And this is an area that's been dead for 10 years. Um, but there's probably going to be some interesting situations where you can get some really good yield on companies that are, quite frankly, solid, um, that just need uh, some liquidity. And so there could be some opportunities higher up the capital structure. But in the equity markets, you have to be careful. You know, if anything, I would say that the growthier parts of the equity markets have probably priced in more than the value segments. Um, there are parts of, of tech right now that actually look uh, attractive. But you do have to be careful because quality is king, cash is king, and that's what you have to look for. All right. It's interesting. I'm looking at some high-yield uh Bond ETFs that are yielding 5% right now, given the sell-off here. So certainly credit opportunities out there, perhaps in the future. Gina Sanchez, thank you very much. We appreciate it.
When we come back on the show, a closer look at a primary source of the global economic slowdown and if the worst is still to come per our conversation just now with Gina. Plus, digging into that tech wreck, the stocks Mark Mahaney says are looking attractive at these beaten down levels. It's like we planned these conversations. And then later on, why Guggenheim Scott Minard says the Fed is on the wrong track. His full comments coming up in more. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We've got a market flash right now on the interest rate complex around the world, specifically Germany. Its five-year sovereign bond, the government bond yield there in Germany, has now risen more than 10 basis points or one-tenth of one percent to its highest level since July of 2011. It's at 1.8 percent right now. You can see across the board, yields have been ticking higher, especially in places like the Eurozone, even Japan right now. And all of this is coming ahead of that big Fed policy meeting that starts today, where the Fed is widely expected to hike interest rates yet again by at least three quarters of one percent. Well, to Europe's energy crisis and reports this morning, two of Germany's largest utility companies are closing in on a long-term deal to buy LNG, liquefied natural gas, from Qatar to help replace lost Russian gas supplies. According to Reuters, talks between the two nations have not been easy with disagreements over length of contracts and pricing and those sorts of things. But those close to the talks say a compromise is expected sometime soon. Europe's biggest economy aims to replace all Russian energy imports by as soon as the mid of 2024. Well, China is keeping its benchmark lending rates unchanged today, as expected, even as the Federal Reserve and other central banks are tightening their policies. It's a divergence, if you will. Just two weeks ago, China cut its key rates as Beijing tries to boost the world's second largest economy, which has been hobbled by covid lockdowns and a property crisis, the ripple effect is being felt across the world. FedEx and Alcoa among the companies recently warning of weaker demand and specifically tying it to Asian markets. Let's get more now with Shazad Kazi, the managing director at the China Beige Book. Uh, Shazad, the economic data is not good out of China, but we kind of know that and expect that given the fact that the government has been so actively seeking to lock down its economy due to COVID concerns. Is China in a position at all to make any kind of a decent economic comeback in the coming, say, six to 12 months if COVID still becomes an issue? We're heading into the winter months now. You know, the next six to 12 months, well, the first six months are going to be pretty tough. I think there was a reasonable expectation 
that the second half of 2022 was going to look better than the first half of 2022. But as we've seen, because of COVID zero largely and the repeated lockdowns, uh, which of course have broader macroeconomic effects, uh, you know, we're going to be finishing off this year on a pretty sour note. Um, now, what are the factors that investors need to be looking at as they think about the next year uh, from, from, from this point onwards? Um, does COVID zero go away? I don't think there is a case to be made that COVID zero is going to be scrapped altogether. Uh, the underlying conditions have not been met for that. Uh, and then the second one, of course, is what happens with stimulus. Is China going to roll out big stimulus, fiscal stimulus or additional monetary stimulus? I think the chances of that also don't look particularly bright. So I would think slower pace of expansion and a much weaker economy than we anticipated, even if it looks better than 2022. Slower, that should be expected. So, so slower pace of expansion mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, an economy where, where rates are getting cut, the currency is weakening. What's to keep people from saying, you know what, I don't want to be in China anymore. Let's go somewhere else, because even if the U.S. looks relatively bad, it's still better than China. Yeah, look, I mean, if you're talking about equity markets, you know, you, you may be seeing more and more of that. Some folks might be able to find opportunities, pockets of, uh, you know, uh, strength, uh, but that could very well be the case. Uh, of course, the larger question is, you know, f- uh, for corporates, they are looking at China. That has to be a long term play. Uh, you know, the Chinese economy is going through very clearly a period of transition. Uh, and now, transitions are very uncertain. Transitions can be very, very messy. And we'll see how policy continues to evolve. Uh, so this is about whether you're you, are you trying to make a long term play for China or not. That's what it really comes down to at this point in time. You know, Shazad, uh, FedEx CEO Raj Subramanian made a lot of headlines when they pre-released their numbers. We're kind of getting the formal stuff later on this week. But during an interview with Jim Cramer on Mad Money, you know, Subramanian explicitly talked about Asia and China as being like the manufacturing hub of the world. So if they see weakness there, they see it everywhere else, which is what led him to that call of a world recession coming up. Is China going to export its problems economically to the rest of the world. So in in other words, if China sneezes, are we all going to get a cold? I'm not sure that's that's on point. Um, Number one, I think if China's manufacturing sector is struggling, uh, well, that's telling you that there is softness elsewhere. As a matter of fact, China's economic revival throughout the post-COVID era, like 2021 and, and so forth, 2022 and 2020 was driven by the fact that there was strong demand in the West, which helped the Chinese manufacturing sector. So I think I think we need to get the relationship right over there. Um, number two, there is incredible weakness in Chinese domestic demand. We all know that. Um, but the reality is that China isn't exactly the biggest consumer of global services. So will, will foreign service providers be hit that hard by Chinese domestic weakness? I'm not sure about that. I think China's economic weakness will ultimately affect, of course, of course, a commodities market. Um, But let's not forget, that's actually a positive story for global inflation. Uh, So I think we need to look at all sides of the picture here when we think through what the broader market implications of of, of Chinese weakness uh, in this current period could be. All right. Shazad Kazi at the China Beige Book. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Still on deck for the show, your top trending stories, including big trouble for Beyond Meat, growing celebrity backlash at Paramount and Apple already in damage control over its latest iPhone lineup. All that coming up and more.
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Dom. Good morning. A magnitude 7.6 earthquake struck the Pacific coast of Mexico. Authorities say at least one person is dead, killed by a collapsing wall at a shopping mall in the port city of Manzanillo. The tremors were also felt in the capital, Mexico City. There were no other reports of significant damage. But just an hour earlier, Mexico had run a nationwide earthquake simulation marking the anniversary of two previous quakes. On September 19, 2017, an earthquake killed nearly 400, and a quake on the very same day in 1985 killed at least 5,000. Hurricane Fiona has strengthened to a Category 3 storm as it nears Grand Turk Island in Turks and Caicos. It pummeled Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. At least two people died as a result of the conditions of that storm in Puerto Rico. President Biden spoke with Puerto Rico's governor, vowing that more support will arrive in the coming days. More than 300 federal personnel are already assisting with response and recovery. And the president of the Dominican Republic says the damage there is considerable. One resident telling Reuters that the massive storm destroyed everything. Fiona could become a Category 4 hurricane later this week as it moves toward Bermuda. Officials in Texas say they're opening a criminal investigation into the sending of migrants to Martha's Vineyard. The sheriff of Bear County, Texas, says it appears that 48 migrants were lured under false pretenses from his county before they were flown to Florida, then to Massachusetts. Lawyers representing some of the migrants say the group was tricked by a misleading brochure about housing and jobs for refugees. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has denied that any laws were broken, and he said this last night on Fox News. They all signed consent forms to go, and then the vendor that, that is doing this for Florida provided them with a packet that had a map of Martha's Vineyard. It had the numbers for different services on Martha's Vineyard, and then it had numbers for the overall agencies in Massachusetts that handle things involving immigration and refugees. So it was clearly voluntary. This controversy comes as new government data shows that, for the first time ever, arrests along the southern border surpassed 2 million within the fiscal year, which ends this month. That's it from here, Dom. Back to you. All right, Philip Minna, thank you very much for the update there. As we head out to break, a reminder, be sure to sign up for the most powerful investment conference of the year. It's CNBC's Delivering Alpha. It returns on September 28th in person. Go to cnbcevents.com slash deliveringalpha slash delivering-alpha to register or just go to deliveringalpha.com. You can get there as well. But go there, Delivering Alpha, September 28th, New York City, in person, a massive lineup. We'll be right back after this. Positive momentum for stocks, looking short-lived. After staging a turnaround to kick off the new trading week, futures are reversing course this morning. As you can see, we're now under pressure. Investors gearing up for the Fed's latest policy meeting kicking off today with another round of aggressive interest rate hikes possibly on deck. Why Guggenheim, Scott Minard says Jay Powell and the rest of the central bank 
are not on the right track. And Amazon scoring a very big win with its streaming deal for Thursday Night Football as it smashes records with its prime platform. It's Tuesday, September 20th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to how the markets and your money are looking halfway through this 5 a.m. Eastern time hour on this Tuesday. S&P futures, by the way, have lost some momentum over the course of the last few hours. Right now, the S&P is implied lower by 11 points, the Dow by 54 and the Nasdaq down by 53. Over the last few hours, the momentum has waned. We were solidly in the green at one point, looking to follow up on yesterday's gains and now drifting towards the red. In the bond market, we have yields right now creeping higher ahead of that big policy meeting from the Fed. Benchmark 10-year note yield just a hair below 3.54%. The two-year note yield just a little below 3.99%. And the 30-year long bond, 3.55% right now. Also checking your morning's big money mover, shares of Ford. They're under pressure right now on the company's warning after the close yesterday that it expects to incur an extra $1 billion in costs during the third quarter due to inflationary pressures and supply chain issues. Ford says the supply issues are resulting in part shortages, affecting roughly 40,000 to 45,000 vehicles, primarily higher margin trucks and SUVs that have yet to even hit dealer lots. Ford shares down 5% right now, GM down about 2.25%, possibly in sympathy with that. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Hi, Silvana. Hi, Dom. A judge denying the Justice Department's bid to stop United Health's bid to buy Change Healthcare. The judge's ruling allows the two companies to move forward with the deal. Change shares jumping on the news. The DOJ filed a lawsuit earlier this year aiming to stop the $8 billion deal saying it would give the largest U.S. health insurer access to its competitors' data and ultimately push up health care costs. A group of states are asking a federal court to revive an antitrust lawsuit against Meta Platforms. The suit, led by New York featuring 46 states, Washington, D.C., and Guam, is seeking to challenge Meta's acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp. The group argues that a lower court was wrong in its decision to dismiss the case last year on the basis that the states had waited too long to take action. And Amazon's entry into Thursday night football, scoring big with NFL fans. The company revealing in a note its broadcast of last week's Chiefs and Chargers game was the most watched night of primetime programming in the U.S. in Prime Video's history. And Dom Execs also saying the game also attracted record number of new Prime subscriptions for a three-hour period, even beating out events like Prime Day and Cyber Monday. It'll right. be interesting to see if uh, all those uh, memberships maintain after it's over. Yeah, I mean, if you're a football fan, I mean, this is something you kind of want to watch, right? right? Especially if the Thursday night games are good. Yep. All right, Silvana Hinao, thank you very much for those. <laughs> Back to our top story and the Federal Reserve kicking off its two-day policy meeting later on today. According to the latest data from the CME Group, investors are overwhelmingly expecting a third 75 basis point or three-quarter percent interest rate hike tomorrow. You can see there the odds are 84 percent, 16 percent for a full one percentage point hike. This is the central bank continues to fight stubbornly high inflation rates. But not everyone is convinced that Powell and company are on the right track at the Fed. Here's Guggenheim's Scott Minard speaking with our own Brian Sullivan just yesterday. When you look at the stuff that policymakers should look at, the money supply is contracting. We have, um, we have inflation that we're looking at in the rearview mirror. We're not looking at 
inflation going forward. There's a very good chance that in the attempt to prove their credibility that they're going to overdo it. Overdo it, says Scott Minard. Possibility there. Joining me now is Lee Baker, president at Apex Financial. Are you worried, Lee? Is the Fed going to overdo it? I'm not worried that they're going to overdo it. You know, uh, Chairman Powell, you know, brought his inner method man out in his bring the pain speech. Uh, We're likely to experience that pain, but I'm not concerned at this point that they're going to overdo it. Could they overdo it? Absolutely. But a 75 basis point hike uh, this week uh, could be followed up later on by smaller hikes. So I'm not convinced that they're just going to, you know, keep their foot on the gas and just keep at this 75 basis point rate. So do you, not concerned at this point. Lee, do you, do you think they're going to slow down? I mean, it, 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 are you seeing signs enough in the marketplace or, or in the economy with the data that makes you think the Fed is OK to start slowing down after this possible 75 basis point hike? Not after this. one. Now, I think next year, yes, but not not this year. So if we take the idea that, you know, the Fed's going to overdo it, I, I don't think the Fed is just going to blindly keep the, the their foot fully pressed on the accelerator. So as we begin to see signs of, at some point, uh, joblessness increasing, right, the, uh, the unemployment rate begins to creep up, uh, and some other signs, I think they may ease off the gas. I just don't think that's going to be until next year. So if it's not until next year, does that then mean that the equity markets continue to look unattractive to you? Or do you think as though or feel as though right now is the time to invest because we've already now priced in all of those interest rate hikes in the coming 2023? I think the equity markets are going to continue to be a little rough. We're looking at other areas to to try to add some ballast, if you will, to client portfolios. Uh, There's been a ton of interest in things like buffered ETFs because people are still concerned about the the downside. Uh, I'm not going to dismiss out of hand the possibility that the the Fed doesn't overdo it, I'm just not convinced that they will. And, and so using some of those types of instruments uh, protects our clients against the possibility that, hey, maybe the Fed, in fact, does overcook it. All right. So if they do, traditionally, people are looking at defensive parts of the market right now, dividend paying stocks like utilities, consumer staples. Yep. Are you looking at those as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Sunoco uh, is an opportunity. Uh, that I think uh, looks good for people. So those areas where it's kind of like, hey, listen, you've got solid companies uh, that have a long history of uh, paying good dividends. Uh, things in the private credit markets uh, are, are attractive places to, to look to get some decent yields. And, and by the way, real estate has been hammered as of late. Do you still think there's opportunity there? In certain sectors, I, I think there are. Um, don't know necessarily that uh, I want to say REITs you know, writ large. Uh, but in certain sectors, I think you can find some opportunities uh, that will be uh, a good opportunity to get some yields without a ton of downside for your clients. All right. Lee Baker at Apex Financial. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. All right. All right, with you, Don. All right. Thank you. Coming up on the show, taking the temperature of the retail trader ahead of the Fed's big rate decision. We've got Investopedia's Caleb Silver laying out the expectations from average investors on what the Fed is going to do next. But first, As we head to break some of your top trending stories, Beyond Meat's chief operating officer, I don't even know how to read this, is facing charges stemming from an altercation at a college football game in Arkansas this past weekend. This is Doug Ramsey. He's accused of punching through the back of a windshield in a car 
and then punching the driver as well and then biting his nose. Those are the allegations, biting his nose. Ramsey and Beyond Meat have yet to respond to requests for comment from CNBC, but we'll let you know if they do. Tom Cruise and Sandra Bullock are reportedly accusing Paramount of cheating them out of millions of dollars. According to Bloomberg, these two are among a series of stars and creators who say they will miss out on money because of a deal between Paramount and Epic's Pictures, saying they get less from the cable channel than other studios do in similar type deals. And Apple is already rolling out an update to its brand new operating system to fix a series of issues. Now, the fixes for iOS 16 will address issues including shaky photos and camera operations with some apps and copy and paste problems as well. So again, iPhone already rolling out bug patches for its new operating system. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Now it's time for something random but interesting, RBI. For that, we send it out, of course, to Brian Sullivan. Brian. Time for your morning RBI, and today let's get random but interesting about something that does not get a lot of attention these days, and that is the national debt. Because as we look ahead to the Fed meeting, we talk a lot about how higher rates impact your borrowing costs. But remember, those rates also impact America's borrowing costs. Higher rates hit all kinds of debt. And when the United States decide to issue more debt, which we do all the time, every day, it's going to cost more, maybe a lot more Because rates have more than doubled from their lows, which means all the debt we're going to issue from now on is not only going to add to the national debt, but cost a lot more to do so. And that's a bit scary because America's national debt is now more than $30 trillion. All right, let's put that into context. That is $92,000 effectively owed by every man, woman and child alive in America today. Whether you're one day old or 100 years old, that's your share. And it's nearly $250,000 owed for every taxpayer. Okay, so you say, so what? The debt has always been high. Well, you're only kind of right because we want to put the growth of our national debt into perspective. And it is important to know that these numbers that we're going to show you are in current dollars. These aren't the dollar amounts from those years. We have adjusted them all up for inflation so they would be in 2022 equivalents. All right, like we said, 92,000 for every person in America right now. That's up from 74,000 per person five years ago. And we know what you're thinking. It's been COVID. The government had to spend the money. And while some may disagree with that statement, let's just put it aside. Because government debt has been growing long before the pandemic. In 2007, just 15 years ago and before the financial crisis, national debt was at $42,600 per person. And that is a sum many back then were saying was simply too high. Because that was around $7,000 per person more than just five years earlier in 2002. And if we take the time machine all the way back to 1992, the national debt was just 32,000 per person. And remember, all those numbers are adjusted up to today's dollars. It was actually 15,000 a person in real dollars back then. So the national debt, now more than 92,000 a person, that's basically what you owe. And that debt, your share has tripled in just 30 years and tripled in inflation adjusted terms. Well, maybe you don't care. The numbers are so big, it's nearly impossible to comprehend anyway. I get it. But remember, every time the Fed raises rates and bond yields go up, the interest payments on all future debt also goes up, just like a giant credit card, yours, mine, everybody. Bottom line, you may not care that much about the Fed and interest rates, but you should. It is the biggest new bill we are all going to have. And at some point, it is entirely possible it could cost a trillion dollars a year just to service that national debt. Money on interest payments, not on schools, not on housing, not on roads, not on medicine, just interest. 
Hello, higher taxes on everyone? Seems hard not to comprehend. Sad but true and random and interesting. All ahead of the Fed meeting. All right, Brian Sullivan, thank you very much for today's RBI. Now, let's stick with the theme of tomorrow's Fed decision and its potential impact on the average American taxpayer. Bring in Investopedia.com editor-in-chief Caleb Silver with a look on how retail investors are talking stock and taking stock ahead of what's likely to be a third straight 75 basis point rate hike later on this year. Uh, Caleb, Brian just spoke about how average investors and the average American should treat rising rates. Is it a worry for those retail investors out there? Absolutely. And they've been concerned about it for a while. They've been watching rates rise and they've been hearing the Fed talk tougher about raising rates basically through next year or into next year. So what are they doing? We like to look at what our readers are looking at. And here are some of the top stories, Dom, and some of these may not surprise you at all. How to buy treasury bonds. Our readers are looking that up because finally there is an alternative. We went from Tina, there is no alternative to TIFA. There is finally an alternative, and that's the yield on some bonds. So they're looking at that. They're looking at how T-bills are taxed. They're looking at the best CD rates. They're finally looking to put money in the bank, basically, because they're getting a little bit more return on those CDs. They're looking for the top four government bond ETFs because they want to put money to work, and equities has been no fun lately. And they're wondering what quantitative tightening is. If they don't know, they're going to know by this afternoon. The Fed, of course, selling $90 billion worth a month of government and mortgage-backed bonds now. So it's interesting, Caleb, because, you know, one of the things I scrutinize, I, I, I kind of go through the data that we have at CNBC.com every every evening. And I look at what the tickers that people search on our website are. Now, normally there's one important rate and it's always near the top of the list. It's the 10 year note yield for, for obvious reasons. People like to it's a benchmark over the course of the last five or six months. There are now like seven or eight different interest rates that people are looking at including spreads between two years and 10 years, one, three and five, six month T-bills. Now they're looking for rates and those types of things. They're looking for two year yields and one year yields at this point. Interest rates are a huge deal. Will they continue to be, though, with the Fed given its path? Yeah, I believe so. And I think investors know that pretty well by now. And they're going to know even better by tomorrow afternoon because the Fed's getting more and more aggressive, which is causing our readers, which are retail investors by definition, a lot of them self-directed, to look for ways to either maximize the opportunity with rising rates, protect themselves from more downside in the equity market, or stay on the sidelines altogether. We track anxiety, reader anxiety, through the terms they're searching for. I told you what the top articles were, uh, but anxiety is high, Don. Um, not as high as it was last year, not as high as it was in 2020, but the concern circles around macroeconomic conditions, right? Are we going to be in this high inflation environment for a while? Or is the Fed going to turn this into a deflation or a stagflationary environment and shut the economy, put the economy to sleep for several years? So they're looking at macroeconomic concerns. They're thinking about how it affects them personally. But as I said, they're also looking at those bond ETFs. They're looking for ways to optimize the opportunity for rising rates. Opportunistic always but also fearing what happens when rates rise even further because they know the equity market has been in a spin now since probably the last month or so. Caleb, we've got a few moments before I let you go. Uh, when you look at the, the, the readership and the, the interest, are there stocks or, or industries in particular that are getting more, more attention right now? Yeah, people are looking at utilities. They're looking at the dividend plays because, again, they're looking for opportunity to get some yield out of this, but they're not hovering around their home-cooked favorites, which are the big mega-cap tech stocks. Those have kind of fallen out of favor right now. They're looking for plays to 
make money, save money, conserve money, and also get money from those dividends or potentially take advantage of higher yields. So it's very interesting. Even when they're scared, they're looking for opportunities to put money to work, Dom. Caleb Silver, Editor-in-Chief, Investopedia. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. On deck for the show, Evercore's Mark Mahaney lays out the tech trade that Caleb says a lot of investors aren't even looking at right now, whether it's time to get back into the beaten up sector. And the names on his radar coming up next. And throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC is celebrating our teammates, our contributors, our colleagues. So as we head to break, here is Project Verite CEO Sandra Campos. As a Latina, it's very important to me to be proud of my heritage and be proud of who I am. We are uniquely strong and we need to be proud of that and showcase our strengths in the workplace and at home. From my own upbringing, having to work in my father's tortilleria and learning how to understand about logistics and warehouse and production, I certainly have taken that and apply a lot of those lessons learned throughout my own career. All right, welcome back. Taking a look right now at the futures market, we are moving towards some of the low areas of the session right now. The Dow Jones is now implied lower by roughly 100 points. The S&P down by 16. You may recall that we were off by about maybe 5 to 10 earlier this hour. And the Nasdaq implied lower by 65. Stocks are putting a stop to their most recent losing streak on Monday. But September is proving to be another tough month for markets so far. Technology and growth-oriented stocks are once again taking the biggest hit, with the Nasdaq down more than 2% just this month alone. The index is now more than 28% off its record highs that we saw last fall. And some of the biggest names in that index are off even more from their most recent 52-week high. So let's take a look at this wall. Major losses for mega-cap technology. Meta, down 59% from its highs. Amazon, a third of its value shaved off. Same with Alphabet. Microsoft as well. And Apple is down 16%. That's a relative outperformer for mega cap technology. Let's dive further into that tech trade with Mark Mahaney, head of Internet Research at Evercore ISI. Mark, I know, you know a lot of some folks on social media harp on me about how some of those companies aren't technically technology, right? Because, you know, Alphabet is communication services. But we get the idea. These are technology-adjacent companies. They're massive in value, and they've taken a beating. Is it going to stay that way? Well, these are some of the most challenging uh, you know, backdrops, uh, environments that I've seen for tech and growth stocks in quite some time. And you've now got a pincer movement. So you've got uh, you know, rising interest rates are always a negative for uh, long duration assets. Although those five companies that you mentioned have got a lot of free cash flow uh, support uh, to them. Nonetheless, uh, uh, higher interest rates have that uh, have a negative uh, headwind on long duration assets, tech assets, growth assets. And then you've got um, softening macro conditions. So you've got a you've got a risk to the multiple and you've got a risk to the earnings or you've got a risk to the P.E. and a risk to the E. If you want to think about it that way. It's a very tough environment for these stocks. I, I, my guess is that that basket of stocks can outperform the market over, over 12 months. And these are good valuation levels that we'll look back on and say, we wish we had bought more then. But there's no particular reason why you can call the relief point. Given those two pincer movements, I would think that those, the, the macro trends are going to get tougher before they, before they ease. You know, you know, Mark, you've been watching the markets in these stocks for quite some time now. Do you remember a time when you've faced this kind of evaluation issue as well as an economic issue? I mean, since the end of the great financial crisis back in 2009-10, 
It's been up, up and away for tech stocks. They've always outperformed. It's been a relatively very low interest rate environment. So what happens now? Are they still relative safe havens like they've been over the last 12 years? Every time the market goes down, they get bought. Or does a rising rate environment change all that? And if so, when's the last time we saw that? Well, you're right. We had uh, a very unusual environment the last two years in particular, but the last 10 years with uh, lower than average uh, interest rates, last two years dramatically lower than average uh, interest rates. And uh, we've had some phenomenal stock outperformance. Now, some of this is just going to be reversion to the mean. Uh, you know, two years of dramatic outperformance in 2020 and 2021 somewhere along the way is going to lead to underperformance. You have that uh, you have that here. I think within tech and with growth, though, you can find kind of more value like names. I think mega cap offers you that. I think as an investor, what you want to do is find the highest quality growth tech names. And I find it hard to believe you wouldn't include Amazon, maybe a Google, uh, a meta in there, at least definitely the first two and probably meta. And uh, these valuations, you know, this the sector as a whole, uh, at least the consumer Internet sector overrated. I mean, the multiples went up dramatically in 2001, probably on the false premise that uh, interest rates would stay low for a long period of time and that there were permanent wins from the COVID crisis. There were some wins. Uh, there were some permanent wins, but not nearly as much as it was implied in, in the valuation. That's easy to say with hindsight, I know. Uh, anyway, I still, I look at these, the market gets back to fundamentals at some point. I don't think it's, you know, it may not be um, weeks away, but it's not years away either. And I think if you have a 12 month or longer investment horizon, if you get a chance to buy Facebook or Meta at 13 times earnings or Google at 17 times earnings, I think those are good entry points. And those stocks, those fundamentals will come through for you. So uh, I hope that answers the question. I, I, uh, you also want to look for stocks with clear catalysts. So that's one of the reasons I just upgraded uh, Netflix because they've got a new advertising stream. But you want clear valuation support or a clear fundamental catalyst going into 23. There are a few spots that offer that. You know, Mark, we're, we're flashing all of these charts. And the one thing they all have in common, including Netflix, which you're showing right now, is they've taken an absolute beating. Catalyst-wise, do you think there's anything that we have to look at for these mega cap tech names beyond interest rates? And you mentioned the ad tier for Netflix and everything else. But what gets you that kind of like, hey, let's go in and buy these names? Oh, it has to be valuation. I don't uh, Now You do have in some of these names like uh, Amazon, um, Google and Meta. You had very challenging comps in the first half of this year because they were such fundamental beneficiaries of uh, COVID trends. And so as you go through the back half of the year, the comps are going to get easier. Revenue growth is going to accelerate. Normally, when you have revenue growth acceleration and margin expansion, multiples at least hold and oftentimes multiples go higher. One of the reasons I like Amazon is the stock is trading about 30 percent below its pre-COVID multiple. So I've got a setup here where fundamentals are going to inflect up the the, the question. The recession question is the rate that they inflect up, but they will inflect up those fundamentals. The share should re-rate modestly. All right. The re-rating. Mark Mahaney at Evercore. Thank you very much. We appreciate the thoughts. That does it us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up market coverage coming up next. And by the way, futures right now implied lower by 88 points for the Dow. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. 
That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.